When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, and our associate producer, William Smith. Visit patreon.com slash positivelytrek to help support the podcast. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Thank you all very much for your support, and enjoy the show. Is Data a machine? Yes. Is he the property of Starfleet? No. We have all been dancing around the basic issue. Does Data have a soul? I don't know that he has. I don't know that I have. But I have got to give him the freedom to explore that question himself. It is the ruling of this court that Lieutenant Commander Data has the freedom to choose. Welcome to another episode of Positively Trek Book Club. Yes, Book Club. That means this episode dropped on a Friday. It's one of our Book Club episodes, and we're so glad you could be here. This is episode number 105, and we're going to cover a TNG classic novel called Metamorphosis. I'm Bruce Gibson. And with me, as he always is while reading books, is Dan Gunther. Dan, what are you up to? I'm just sitting here across from you, thousands of miles apart, (laughs) ready to talk about Star Trek novels. And one novel in particular, I should say. But yeah, really excited to be talking about this today. Isn't that amazing? Thousands of miles apart. Yet I feel like we're just sitting in the same room together. Yeah. And I mean, there's, it's just, you know, there's no delay in our communication. It's, it's like, it's like we're talking on Picard's desktop viewer in his ready room, you know, that magical technology that we we grew up seeing. And we do this every week now. It's like we have little Star Trek view screens. Yes. We're living Star Trek in our lives as we speak. I love it. And everybody's listening to our hailing frequencies because they definitely are open. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, let's get into this book. Okay. So the last book club episode we did, we reviewed the novel Survivors, another classic TNG novel by Gene Laura. This is a follow-up novel to that or somewhat follow-up novel. It's not a direct sequel, but some of the events in Survivors kind of play into this book, and that's why we chose to read Survivors first and then read Metamorphosis next. And Metamorphosis, I have the original paperback here in my little hands 
from March of 1990, and it the cover says the boldest adventure of all. <laughs> so I mean that's really holding up a lot there. I love that tagline. I don't know where they came up with it or or why, but I really like that. It's just you know it's it's very grandiose. It is. And then it also says that this is the first giant novel. So this is great because, you know, it was great that they came out with a book that giants could read. You know, they're actually targeting the giant market. No, actually, it's a giant novel because it's 308, no, 371 pages. And back then for Star Trek novels, that's longer than most then. But today, that's like the average of a Star Trek novel. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Was this one originally in hardcover or did it originally come out as a paperback? Uh, it came out as a paperback. Okay. Oh yeah. March 1990 paperback. Interesting. I actually have uh, the fifth printing of this. So mine isn't originally from 1990. So this is one that did go to multiple printings and came out a number of times with reprints and stuff. So it's definitely uh, one of the popular ones, I'd say like the back, uh, the back cover of mine is advertising deep space nine novels and stuff. So like this came out quite a bit after it was first published this edition that I have. Yeah. I wonder when my, cause now I'm looking, mine is actually the second edition. It's not the first, but it's oh, the second. Okay. And the back cover is promoting a TNG book and also the novelization of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so definitely a, a couple years later, or at least a year or two. Well, because Undiscovered Country came out, what, 91, right? Yeah, so probably a year later, I guess. Yeah, this is probably a year later then. Because okay. it says it's coming soon, The Undiscovered Country. So yeah, this probably... The one I have came out in 91, which makes sense because that's when I started reading Star Trek novels. So I probably did pick this up. I don't remember, but it was probably one of the earlier ones that I've, I've ever read. So there you go. Mm, hmm, interesting. interesting. Yes. Fascinating. <laughs> or intriguing, as Data would say. <laughs> ah, that's more appropriate because this has a lot of data in it. I meaning the character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a lot of data. There's not a lot of ones and zeros in here. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless you're reading the ebook. I don't know. So let's get right into this. So the quest. There's this quest going on. So the Enterprise, and we're not going to go through all the details, of course, of the story, because this is a giant novel. There's just too much to go through. <laughs> no. But the Enterprise rescues Daryl Adden who came from the book Survivors that we reviewed last time. So they will come to rescue his, him and his gang because they're in this gravitational distortion. One of their ships is you know, being pulled in or whatever, and they come and rescue whatever, da-da-da. But they're at this planet called Elysia, and there's this gravitational distortion, but it's mysterious. They don't know what's causing it. What could be happening? So what do you do in a situation like that, Dan? You beam down, right? You got to go check it out. Absolutely. Well, first of all, so Daryl Aiden, like you said, from the previous novel, I remember you were a huge fan of this character and really, really liked him. So I got to imagine you're so excited to see him in this novel, right? Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did I not like him in the last episode? Uh, I did recently re-listen to that episode and you did not, you were not a fan of the guy. Now, mind you, at the time we thought he was guilty of murder and uh, treason and all this stuff. But That is uh, true. 
Yeah, you weren't the biggest fan of him for most of that novel. Well, okay, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Because I did think he was guilty. I thought he was a bad person. But what we find out later in that novel is he was not guilty. So I was thinking of him as good Daryl in this one and not bad Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> so is this like the, the new heart with uh, my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl? <laughs> That's right. This is the good one then. Yes, I'm Larry. <laughs> There's that one Daryl and the other Daryl. <laughs> I, I think like probably half our audience is going, what? Who? What are they talking about? <laughs> yes. Watch New Heart. It's a sitcom from the what? probably late 80s going into 90s, I think. Yeah. That would so. be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Especially the last episode. It's quite interesting. So, <laughs> but yeah. So, okay. Let me, let's, let's stay on Daryl Aiden for a little bit here and and we're jumping around through the book and there's going to be spoilers so they worked him into this novel but he didn't to me really wasn't necessary this novel could work without him in my opinion yeah he was a little bit superfluous to the main story I kind of liked the character in the last novel and I thought it was interesting that he was brought back in because of his relationship with Data and what Data goes through in this novel, I think it was interesting to have him there, mostly as a reminder of Tasha Yar and that relationship and, and what that kind of means. But for the most part, plot-wise, he's not integral to the goings-on in the novel. Yeah. I mean, there's some interesting things in there with him that come out. But uh, yeah, I felt like they could have, you know, Gene could have written this novel without him and used just another Enterprise crew member to kind of accomplish some of the same things. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's kind of fun to see returning characters from novels and books. So it didn't mm -hmm. it didn't bother me in any way. But so the crew, we have a way team of Riker, Jordy, Worf and Data beam down to the planet. And it's a good thing I corrected my spelling error in the notes because it said work not wharf because oh. <laughs> <laughs> i would have said riker jordian work that hmm. just shows what was on my mind at the time when i wrote the notes but they <laughs> beam down to the planet and they're on this another something mysterious a mysterious godlike beings are on this island so they're on this island mm -hmm. and so then they decide they're going to beam back up to the ship but data stays behind briefly and sees this woman he detects a life sign and she's on this boat coming to the island and her name is Thelia and Thelia is a princess, Dan. Uh, you like princesses, don't you? <laughs> I, I haven't had much occasion to interact with them personally in my day to day life, but I've heard good things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to know what good things you've heard about princesses. <laughs> <laughs> I watch the crown. I, I like, I like a few of the princesses on there, I guess. <laughs> oh, good. I watch Disney princesses, so I've watched The Crown, too. But anyway, the princess is on the island, and she has a quest because she wants to she wants to unite her people with these other people that are nearby, that they both their lands are dying. And if the two peoples join together, they can help each other survive by trading things and producing food and plowing the land and whatever it is that you do on these lands. I think it's important to note a little bit about the planet Elysia as well, because it's it's different from a typical planet. So there was a previous Starfleet team who had visited and then was expelled from the planet. And it's it's kind of made up of a series of settlements all over the world, but they're not connected. 
they're kind of these little bubbles of habitable areas surrounded by poisonous swamplands that you can't breathe in and that sort of thing. So all of these different settlements are completely cut off from each other. And it seems to be kind of like a, an engineered planet almost. It, it, it seems that there's these gods or something that call themselves gods or that the people there call gods that have engineered this situation. So it's not like a typical, Oh, our lands are far apart. We want to join them together through trade. It's, there's a little, it's a little more difficult than that, if that makes sense because of, of these poisonous gases. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that there was a previous Starfleet crew that visited the planet because then the prime directive wasn't as, serious of an issue with this because Starfleet had already visited this planet before. So there was some debate about, you know, beaming down and being seen and, and that thing could, could they do that? Could they not, should they beam down just the humans? Cause they've seen humans before, but they haven't seen other races. They haven't seen Klingons before. Of course they haven't seen an Android so on and so forth, but they did feel then it was safe to go ahead and beam them down. Well, because they don't go to that island right away, so they go yeah. to a, a settlement first. So that might be what you're thinking of. So Data and Thelia go on a quest together, because Data wants to f meet the gods. He wants to figure out who these gods are, right? And of course, Thelia has her mission for this quest to go on. So this takes place, I don't know, maybe the first third of the book or so. So, Dan, what did you think about this storyline in the book? I was actually really enjoying this part of the story. I, I kind of got into the story of, of the quest and that sort of thing. And and the things that happen are things that we don't typically see in a Star Trek episode. I think, again, because budget reasons. So they can kind of craft this world. Data encounters challenges that test him and... You know, Yar says famously in the first season episode, The Arsenal of Freedom, you're not indestructible, Data. And we kind of finally get to see that in this novel a little bit as he encounters various challenges on this quest and doesn't fare too well. So I was I was kind of having fun imagining what that was like, like his skin was being torn open and he was getting water in his circuits and shredding out a little bit and stuff like that. It was interesting. I, you never see Data like that. He's always this indestructible person who, you know, does amazing feats of strength and that sort of thing. But in here we get to see him push to his very limits, which I thought was really interesting. That was interesting. I had a hard time picturing him being so beat up because to your point, we always see him looking so perfect. The hair's always in place and so on and so forth. And, but yeah, just picturing him being, disheveled and ripped and hair disoriented or whatever. It was like, I had to keep that in mind. Um, and then Thelia, I enjoyed that character. I actually really liked her because she in some ways was, you know, very innocent and very accepting of data. You know, at first she doesn't know he's an Android and then he reveals himself to be an Android. And, you know, of course it's not easy for her you know, she's a little afraid of him at first because she's never met an android. She's never met a machine man before. And so this is an unusual thing for her. But she comes to eventually get to a point where she trusts him and she needs him in this quest. You can't take the quest by yourself. I mean, you could, but I think part of the test involves two people. At least that's how it feels the way the gods have set it up because we find out later in the book that 
she, there was somebody else intended to take the quest with her. And the interesting thing too about these gods in this whole sequence is, you know, there we don't really get a clear understanding of what exactly they are. We get a little bit revealed kind of towards the end of the novel, but throughout this quest, it's clear that they're listening in and picking up clues and changing the environment and the conditions of the test based on what they hear from data and Thelia and, and everything that's happening. So I thought that was really interesting that, you know, there, there's some sort of, force guiding them that we don't really get to see and it makes for some interesting choices on data's part where he realizes that you know he reveals things and that kind of affects what is revealed to thelia about his nature and that sort of thing and he kind of interpolates that you know the gods want him to reveal some things but not other things so it's it's kind of interesting following how he's you know making his decisions and figuring out what the gods want and what he's supposed to do and respond to this maze and and quest they've set up yeah and some of these environments are holographic i mean they're not real at least we assume or he assumes you know this is kind of like a holographic simulation of these different environments and things because they can change i mean this is a test and they're adapting the test to you know to to guide these two through the quest to take these challenges and see what decisions that they make in these and even like the raptors that carry him across the water and he falls in the water and like you said, gets the water in his open circuits and such, you know, some of it was a little, you know, fantasy like in a sense, you know, the, the one issue I, I, I don't, maybe I issue isn't the right word, but the one thing about this storyline is I was starting to get a little bored with it only. And I think it's because it's the only storyline that's going on. You know, so I'm so used to reading Star Trek novels where there's this story, but then the next chapter is taking place somewhere else with these other characters. Then we come back to this one or whatever, like there's different storylines going on. And this was just this one throughout. And I was kind of waiting for them to get to the gods or something. Cause I started to worry, like, is this whole book just, go and I read this book way back. I don't remember it, but I started thinking, is this book, the whole thing just going to be them taking this quest. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I started to worry, like, I'm not going to be able to get, I'll get through the book, but I started to worry, like, I'm not going to want to get through this whole book. If that's all this is. It's kind of funny. Cause at one point I kind of had the same thought and then ended up being surprised that the quest ends as quickly as it does like because yes. it, it feels like uh, i want to almost compare it to like lord of the rings or that's or the exactly Hobbit or what i was like thinking that. yeah yeah <laughs> and i was kind of getting into it not to say that i was disappointed that the quest ended i'm actually happy that it moved on from that and we got some different things but i started to get the feeling like oh this book is that's what this is we're gonna be on this long quest there's gonna be all these different dangers and challenges and Data's going to learn something by the end. And, you know, obviously with the title Metamorphosis and the kind of quick logline of it, you know, something big is coming for Data that's going to happen. I was thinking it would be like more towards the end of the novel rather than kind of the big chunk of the novel it took up. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't so much getting bored with it. And I know you said you weren't necessarily getting bored with it, but just that you were worried that that would take up the whole novel. I was kind of ended up being surprised that it didn't. So that was, it's an inter interesting 
way that she's crafted the story here. Yeah, and the fact that I said, uh, you know, bored. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't quite bored. I was worried that I was going to get bored. Like, I was getting mm. to that point where I was like, is this whole book just going to be them on this quest? Like, uh, and but to your point, though, when it ended, I was actually surprised. Like, it ended, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is the end of the quest, and we still have a lot of book left. Then I was like, okay, so there is going to be more to it than just this, you know? Had I known that before, because like I said, don't remember from all the years ago. The only thing, real quick, the only thing I remembered about this book was data and a mountain. That's all I remembered. Data and a mountain. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) It's funny. You say data and a mountain, and for whatever reason, my brain goes, have you seen that like remixed interview with William Shatner about Star Trek V, where he's talking about Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing the mountain? And somebody has kind of made this song out of it. (laughs) No, I haven't heard that. (laughs) Okay. You need to, at some point, just go to YouTube and search uh, Kirk is climbing a mountain or something like that. and, And you'll find this. It's ridiculous. But that's what popped into my head. I'm sure some listeners out there know what I'm talking about. But for those who don't, Go YouTube that. It's um, it's definitely something. <laughs> Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Data's climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Well, it, what I find really interesting then is, and I kind of remembered this part too, actually, now that I think about it, the gods grant Data one of his wishes, per se, but it's not really what his intention was, but they make him human. He becomes a human. Now, where these gods got this power to make him human, real flesh and blood, I'm not really sure, and they don't really know either, but Thelia is then instantly transported back to her homeland and Data is now human and is beamed up to the Enterprise. What do you think about Data becoming human? I was really fascinated by this part of the novel, and especially just the the way the author kind of extrapolates exactly what would happen and how he would react and the things that he would have to learn and that sort of thing. I got really kind of invested in his discovering of his own humanity, like figuring out like, Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm tired. Like I just woke up in this bed and I don't know how I got here. And I have hours of my life missing now that brief panic and that sort of thing. And trying all the different things in the replicator. I thought it was a lot of fun and and data's anxiety about having to pass Starfleet readiness tests and that sort of thing. I got really invested in this part of the story and really enjoyed that. I thought it was interesting how he beams up and they don't recognize him because I'm now picturing Brent Spiner as Brent Mm -hmm. Spiner, right? (laughs) And Brent Spiner does look like Data for the most part, right? But they questioned that and they were still, you know, Picard and Riker and O'Brien, they're all still like, you know, you know, you're not Data. No, you're not Data. And it almost takes Pulaski to walk in and go, no, that's Data. (laughs) Which I thought was funny. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I thought that was interesting. And I did have a lot of fun kind of trying to picture how Data looked. Like Brent Spiner, but 
not as you know obviously without the the pale skin and the yellow contact lenses but also like hair disheveled and you know that sort of thing like trying to kind of mess up his appearance a little bit to try and picture how he moved through this story uh my brain sometimes just when he's speaking just reverted to him looking like data and i kind of had to stop and do like a hard reset in my mind and say no no that's not how he looks he looks like this and kind of continue from there i'm a very visual reader i very much picture things while i'm reading so uh it's it's sometimes hard to forcibly change that image to what my brain automatically brings up when i'm reading because when you think about it we've read so many star trek novels in our lifetime that we're so used to picturing data and hearing data a certain way and now all of a sudden we have a human data and so anytime a new scene started I had to, like you said, force my brain to think, okay, it, this doesn't look like data. This looks like Brent Spiner. Like I'm picturing when I see him at conventions or on interviews or something, like I'm trying to picture that man and his mannerisms and the way he talks because Brent Spiner doesn't use that same cadence as he does when he plays data. So I was doing in my mind a lot more voice inflections and a lot more of emotions and just kind of more like a, hey, I'm data and I'm just kind of hanging out here in 10 forward. How's it going, Jordy? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's hard when, when characters change like that. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one thing I thought was interesting too in the novel is even though he's not an Android, he's still for the most part, at least at the beginning of his journey as the human data, talking a lot like data used to with that very kind of formal language and that sort of thing. And I was, I was watching very closely. He does use a contraction at one point mm. towards the end, more towards the end. And I was found myself really wondering, is that the author like consciously putting that in there? Because his language does seem to get a little less formal as it goes on very, very gradually. I don't know if I was reading that into it or if that was an actual conscious decision by the author, but I did notice just a little bit more emotion in his voice as it went on, as well as a little less formality sometimes. But again, that might've been my imagination a bit. No, I think I, it felt looser as time, more casual to me too, as it went along, which made it easier for me to picture Brent Spiner as mm -hmm. Brent Spiner playing Brent Spiner data. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but yeah, <laughs> without being data data. Uh, but this is human data. The one thing I would say that didn't really work for me sometimes was the interaction of the crew with him. Because I remember there was a scene fairly early on. It was the first one-on-one -on -one scene between Dan and Picard. Picard calls Data to his ready room. And immediately it's just talking business. And I just felt that and maybe because this is in the early seasons of TNG where Picard was a little more formal. But I would think that the first time that Picard really is alone with Data in this situation, that he would kind of talk to Data about his humanity and not mm -hmm. just, we're here to talk business, Data, as if like nothing happened. That scene just kind of bothered me. Yeah, it felt a little off to me as well because I, I felt like there would be a bit more camaraderie, kind of like you say, between these characters. They're very much keeping him at arm's length. And I kind of started to examine that a bit. And I wondered if that was because 
they're not sure what to make of him. They're maybe still a little suspicious that this isn't the data they know and, and something's been perpetrated against them. And my brain also kind of went to, well, maybe Counselor Troy had a bit of a talk with a bunch of the crew and said, you know, don't push too much with data. Don't, you know, it might trigger some sort of psychological distress or something like that. I don't know. That that was mostly just me kind of trying to justify those choices, I think, in my head. I think, honestly, though, I, I agree. It seemed odd that they were more like, oh, data is a human now. Okay, well, we have to do these things. This is the paperwork that must be filed. We have to recertify him on this. And um, yeah, that's all we're going to talk about here, I guess. So yeah, it did seem odd that there was no like, how do you feel data? What What's going on with you? How do you, how do you feel about this? Is this what you wanted? Are you coping okay? You know, like there was there didn't seem to be any kind of that care. And even Counselor Troy, the only thing she does with data is kind of worry that like he's not going to pass the psychological tests she kind of sees if he's okay but you know you'd think she'd be sitting down with him one-on-one -on -one for long periods and sessions to get through this like this should be a pretty big event obviously in data's life and his friends should care more i guess as you're talking through it it's making me think of star trek generations when he activates his emotion ship that's and, great. Great yeah. analogy. Yeah. And Picard's helping him. And, you know, this is what, you know, those are human emotions. Yes. You know, fear. And, yeah, you know, those are things you have to cope with. Those are things that we've all had to learn to cope. Like, you know, people are helping to kind of guide him. It also makes me think I would have liked to seen some scenes with Picard and Data or even Riker or Troy and Data, whoever, similar to scenes we would see in Voyager with Janeway and Seven of Nine. Same thing where. Janeway's helping Seven through her discovering her humanity. And I don't feel like we were getting a lot of that. I think that would have really helped make this book more powerful if those types of scenes were in there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We do get a lot of data coping with this on his own, which does seem odd for sure. But we also deal with love in this book. <laughs> data is... A Casanova. No, not necessarily, but but we do a lot with love here in this book. And this is a scene with Aiden that comes in, uh, Daryl Aiden, which I did like, where he's talking to human data. And then he, just in the conversation, he sees something in data, the way data's talking and in the little message from Tasha that was left behind on the little crystal thing or whatever when Aiden walks in and sees this and realizes, oh my gosh, Data, you were in love with her. And now my first reaction to that is, but he didn't have feelings necessarily when Tasha was alive. So what, he just developed feelings of love for her after becoming human? Maybe? I don't know. Or maybe he does have some types, right? We talked about this in the last episode. He has, what, android emotions. I think mm -hmm. you had mentioned that you heard that somewhere and not real human emotions. So, but I went with it. I was like, okay, maybe Data was in love with Tasha. And I like how Aiden said, you know, if you were human back when she was alive, we'd be in this love triangle, <laughs> you know? But these two become really good friends or have been really good friends. But it would have been interesting if he was human. Their friendship may not have played out the way it has now because they may have been a rift. There may would have been a rift between them because of Tasha. Mm -hmm. I did think that was interesting, and and I like that kind of bringing 
that relationship in from the previous novel survivors. I appreciated what that meant for data. I did also kind of, you know, push against Aiden saying that data was in love with Tasha. And I kind of had to do a bit of that justification in my head as well, because that didn't really ring true to me, but you know, I, I guess it could be the inputs that data got when, you know, the thought processes that went through his head when he was dealing with Tasha has, have now been reinterpreted and realized as feelings of love just not the way we would understand it or something like that. And that kind of got put through the lens of now having human emotions in a human body kind of reinterpreting that as love or something like that. So that's kind of how I went with it in my head or, you know, Aiden wasn't quite right. Maybe, maybe he put that idea in data's head and data was like, Oh, apparently I was in love with Tasha. (laughs) Well, I thought about that too, because he's watching that holographic message from Tasha or at least has it displayed. Why can't it just be friendship longing for someone who was a really good friend? You know, I don't know why he jumped to the conclusion that day was in love with her. And I guess it's not, doesn't really matter because I think at the end of the day, when we get through this novel data starts learning about what true love feelings are. And maybe he realizes that he had a certain type of love for Tasha but not the true romantic love for Tasha, which we'll get to in a little bit here. But he does date a member of the Silver Paladins group, Pris, on the ship because she shows some interest in Data. And they're dating and doing the hanky-panky and turning themselves around. (laughs) That's what it's all about. I was going to say, that is what it's all about, yeah. (laughs) I, I I thought that was interesting and I, I like that bit of continuity because she did have that interest in data in the last novel as well. So I thought that was nice carrying that forward. I love when data kind of realizes afterwards that like, wait a minute, she's another kind of fit blonde person who kind of has Tashiar's features and he's like, I'm going to try avoid dating that, you know, that type from now on. It's weird. I'm falling into a type kind of thing. I, I thought that was kind of cute, but yeah, that was an interesting relationship. And I think, you know, it was, it was a meaningful experience for data, but at the same time, he also feels like he's done something wrong. And at first he thinks it's because he was in love with Tasha. Like, like Daryl suggested, but we find out that it's maybe for a different reason, but yeah, it's, he's got this like lingering feeling of guilt that he doesn't know what to do with. And it is one of the few times that we do see him talking with Troy in the novel about something psychological, which, you know, you think would have happened before this, but you know, it is something that, that disturbs him. Yeah. I want to move. I want to get to, the next kind of love thing in this. But before we get to that and another, I guess, human test for data, I want to kind of back up on really what else is going on through this whole situation. So they're visiting these three groups of planets. And so there's this group of beings called the, either the Connor or the Conor. We'll say the Conor for this episode, because I think it sounds better, right? (laughs) So the, the Conor have these telepathic abilities and the Samdians called the Enterprise saying they were being attacked by the Konor that are from this other planet. But in reality, what we find out is the Konor are part of this 
Samdian species. And because they have telepathic abilities and the rest of their race doesn't have telepathic abilities, that these Konars think that they have souls, that the gods have then determined that they have souls. And that's why they have these telepathic abilities. And those who do not have telepathic abilities do not have souls, though they are those without souls, which is the Iconor. And so I thought this was interesting because the fact that they have telepathic abilities that they can broadcast to one another, they think that that means they have souls and everybody else doesn't. And therefore they are then made into their servants. And that's why there's these attacks and stuff because it's speculated that the Kunar are so original. And as they started to develop telepathic abilities, they were being abused and being objectified. And so they were fighting back. And it gets pretty brutal, like the this kind of belief that it, it's almost like they're, I'm, and I'm going to use the word human, even though obviously it doesn't really apply to an alien race, but it they believe that they are human and that the others of their species that don't have this ability are animals, are less than human. Like they can exist as slaves, but if they won't willingly do that, they're just slaughtered wantonly and it it's brutal like some of what we see happening in this novel and kind of that idea of when you see the people around you as less than human the atrocities that you're able to commit because you think you're not doing that to real people and we see that play out on this planet on these planets i should say and we see this play out on our own planet but for different reasons Absolutely. You know, because these beings, even the ones that are attacking, look just like them. They're golden green skin and they have lavender hair. And when the Enterprise crew sees this going on, they first see these beings rounding up these children. Because what they find out later is they're trying to determine which children have the telepathic-like abilities and which ones don't. They're segmenting them out. And so they're attacking ones of their own kind. The only difference they see is, well, some can communicate telepathically and some can't so one is better than the other and one has souls which means they're worthy and the other that are soulless are not worthy which is ridiculous which of course we'll get to later in the book (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i i did find the this um this race of beings the samdians and the konar which are part of them I thought it was an interesting play in the book, and, and especially when we get to the end. Yeah, it's an interesting dilemma and and the final kind of realization of what's going on, I thought, you know, was kind of interesting. And the effect of Data's new nature, the effect that has on the Enterprise crew's ability to figure things out or not, was interesting in how it played out. But yeah, the these alien races, they're they're fascinating for sure. And it's frustrating to watch Data kind of struggle with tasks that he would have found much easier when he was an android that kind of lead to kind of disastrous results in this novel. So one of the crew members that has been involved in in this book quite a bit, that was part of the away team when they went down to confront the Konar because they were trying to convince the Konar to open up diplomatic talks with the rest of the Samdian beings uh, on this planet, when they beamed down, they were being attacked by the Kunar. And as the away team is being attacked, we have this crew member named 
Thralin. And Thralin looks like an Endorian, but not an Endorian, like somewhat related to Endorian. He's a Thaskian? Thaskian? Uh, Thescian. A Thescian, like a Thespian. <laughs> and he looks like an Andor blue skin, but instead of white hair, it's yellow hair. So, and he has red blood. I remember that. But he's attacked. And even what he loses one of his little atten- antennas on, on his head. And when they beam up to the ship immediately, Data's trying to save his life, basically doing CPR. But the Thalians do not, I mean, the Thescians do not believe in resurrecting themselves after they have died, that their souls have left their body. They cannot return. But Data doesn't remember this about their, their beings because he doesn't have that database in his head that he can access all this information because as we as humans as you're going through starfleet academy or any other uh, species we're having to learn and retain data has just had a computer in his head he's now doesn't know how to deal with having a human brain in his head as opposed to a database i thought that explanation was really fun where you know there were classes that data took normally at starfleet academy because they were more abstract explorations of topics and that sort of thing. But there are also classes at Starfleet Academy that are just information dumps where it's like our cadets need to know this information. So they take this class and learn it over the course of a semester. Data didn't actually sit through those classes because of his nature. They could just take that information and upload it into his brain. So he didn't learn that information. It just was added to his database, data's database. Interesting. But because of that, that's not information that he retains now that he's a human. He didn't like sit and learn it. It was just like dumped into his brain. And that doesn't necessarily create memories of learning that information like other things do. So I thought that was a great explanation as to why there are these gaps in his memory. And the way that he has been able to conduct himself as an android, as a human, he's reacting, he has to react differently. He can't react to certain things like he did as an android. Like in the sickbay scene where something starts to fall over, a big heavy box that's going to fall on Pulaski, he thinks he can just run in and grab this heavy box and protect her, but instead it falls on him and injures him. He He can't react the same way as an android. So... There's the mental abilities that he kind of took shortcuts on, and now he has to learn to adapt to learn. And then also physically, he has to know where his limitations are, where he didn't have these before. So he's Mm -hmm. got these two struggles happening. Yeah, that was a brutal scene in sickbay too. And the the safety person in me that like has had that role in various companies was kind of mad at how that ended up where you know Pulaski just kicks those two guys out of sick bay and they go off on about their business and I'm like no 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 you need to call someone over there and take a report and take down all the information and and have a meeting about it later how you stop this from happening again what are you guys doing but anyway all of that aside uh, I was really worried for data in in that scene and and that was brutal I thought he broke his back <laughs> oh I did too and and he didn't even break a rib she said there was just like minor fractures in his ribs and yeah yeah exactly so yeah data survived that good well (laughs) here's another thing so let's move on to the more emotional state of things we were talking about love earlier 
Now we find out that as Data is talking to Troy, he's talking about dreams that he's having in his sleep and some other things. There's something that he keeps seeing a woman, but he can't make out who she is. And he has these feelings and such. And Troy eventually comes to the conclusion and reveals to Data that he's in love with Thelia. And that's why he's been having all these weird emotions and dreams and thoughts and stuff because he's in love with the princess Thelia and okay. I kind of bought that maybe in a way, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was something that I definitely saw coming. Like as soon as he was saying like, who am I in love with? What's the, I was like, well, obviously it's the woman he interacted with earlier in the novel for a long period of time. Right. Like (laughs) I was like, it's Thelia. Right. And then, yeah, it is. Okay, there we go. Like, I I don't know. It seemed obvious to me, but again, I guess, you know, we don't see his everyday interactions with everybody, but we did have a significant period of time with that woman earlier in the novel. So I was like, okay, guys, get to that, like, figure that out. <laughs> but what I'm trying to wrap my head around is, again, he's an android with this woman, just like with Tasha. So he mm. wouldn't necessarily have romantic feelings for her as an android those would develop as a human and if he's not around her i don't think he would fall in love with her from thinking back to her when he didn't have any feelings for her you know what i'm saying yeah but um, again it was the same kind of rationale that i gave when they said the same thing about tasha was that you know the impulses in his brain the time spent with her are now kind of reinterpreted as feelings of love or something in his human brain, I guess. I don't know. It was one of those things that like, I already had to kind of rationalize it when dare said that about Tasha. So I was like, Oh, okay. It happened with this other woman too, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll go with it. It's just, I'm thinking, I mean, of course we don't have androids that we can really, you know, evaluate this with, uh, I would just think that love, the feelings you get from somebody is when is in the moment, not afterwards, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And that his memories don't create love. It's the experiences of being with her would create the love. But yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Android emotions, maybe whatever and all that stuff. I'll buy it. Okay. So he's in love. But here's the part that I, I started to think that was a little over the top that he has to go back to her, that the enterprise is going to take him back to his love. I thought that like, why? Like, what if any crewman that says, hey, you know what? I'm in love with somebody I met somewhere and the Enterprise is going to, you know, engage. We're going back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Picard does justify it a bit saying like, oh, there's still much to learn about those planets. I'm sure Starfleet will be totally happy with us going back. But yeah, it seemed very like, you know, Deanna goes to Picard and says, Data's in love with this woman. We have to get back to this planet so they can be together. And Picard pretty much says, well, if you say so. (laughs) It seemed really weird. And in fact, from this point through to the time when they're back on Alicia, it really felt like it didn't get filled out enough. Like it was like, okay, we need this, 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 and this to happen. So this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And I went, okay, that was really fast. Like they just, yeah, it's like, oh crap. Okay. We got to get to this point in the story. So, but up, but up, but up, but just fast forwards a bit. And I'm, I, I didn't buy it. Like I just, it didn't feel like 
it felt like the plot advanced in those areas because the plot needed to go in those areas. It didn't seem like people were making decisions. It felt like, well, Data's got to go back, so now Data's back. I agree with that. I mean, if you think about the quest, it's multiple chapters. And then when you think about him dealing with his his humanity and the Konar, it's multiple chapters. And then we return to Alicia to reunite with her. And it's like all these things happen in one chapter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, at least that's how I remember it being one chapter. So yeah, he, he beams down to Alicia. He's looking for Thelia, the princess and comes to find out that she's engaged to the prince from the other dome (laughs) or whatever. And his name is Sharn and they're getting married. He also finds at that time that the, that she had given data a kiss on the cheek and that, that created a bond between them. And that's part of the reason why he has some of these emotions. And so then data then goes and seeks out the gods and finds out that the decisions he's made as a human have led to the Konar uh, going to war with their people and Aiden, his crew who stayed behind to help with uh, the situations there, they have been killed. So data, I guess in a lot of ways sees that, his decision and the things that he did as a human had a negative effect on things. Well, and not only that, that decision plunges the entire quadrant of the galaxy into a never ending war that leaves the Federation. Like the, these gods have the ability to see into the future and what will happen. And it will devastate the Federation and the Klingons and the Ferengi and the Romulans kind of this, this conflict will spread out. So data, through becoming human has is responsible for the end of the federation and most of the governments around basically is is kind of what the conclusion here is i would say that's the boldest adventurer of all according to this Uh, cover actually yeah that's that's a good call (laughs) (laughs) so okay how are we going to fix this situation because number one we don't want the federation to be destroyed and number two we can't have this book conflict with the tv series so we have to get everybody back to where they belong right so what happens well they send data they the gods reverse time back to the time that data first met thelia and instead of data confronting and meeting thelia he hides himself so that when Thelia gets to the island, she actually meets up with Sharn, and those two go on the quest together, like was originally intended, and he remains as an android. So now we quickly, and it should go quickly, but we kind of quickly retell the stories that we've had before after he returned to the Enterprise dealing with the Konar, but now he's an android. And a lot of things continue to end up being the same as they played out before for the longest time. I mean, you're kind of getting a recap of the story for a little while here, but then you start to see little tiny differences in things. And one of the things, for example, is Thralen, whose life, actually, he doesn't die. He actually gets back to the Enterprise. Data quickly calls sickbay. They come in and he lives. So that's a change in this, I guess, new timeline. And then we also have him dealing with the Konar. Now, before I get to that and the whole telepathy thing, there's one important thing I do need to mention. He doesn't remember all the past events when he was human. So no one does. So that does not come into play. He, but there's little things where he does things and he goes, this seems familiar. I feel like I've done this before. 
Yeah, there is kind of a ghost of a remembrance of something. But yeah, he doesn't have a play-by-play remembrance. But there is kind of an impression that there's something there that he kind of remembers a little bit. So early in the novel, when they dealt with the Konar, they actually could not figure out how to communicate with them telepathically. Mm-hmm, because it, it turns out it's not actually telepathy. Right. Because Deanna tries to telepathically speak with them and they try a bunch of different telepathic species on the enterprise and none of them are, everyone's able to receive like anybody human, whatever can receive, but no one can send, no one can make them understand something they're saying. So it turns out like it's not actually telepathy. Exactly. And I don't know, even know what else to call it. I mean, they kept talking about, you know, it's being broadcast, you know, it's not that they even, it doesn't even sound like they can communicate one-on-one that they just send it out and people hear it. You know, those who can hear, I I even love Picard's like, okay, well, none of the crew people on the ship can communicate with it. We need to search the galaxy for someone who can. I was like, well, that's going to take a while. (laughs) (laughs) But now in this new timeline, they're able to figure out a way to communicate with them because Data is an android and he has a receptor in him that he's hearing these messages. And that's how they figure out it's not really telepathy because he wouldn't pick up on telepathic messages. So there's something else going on in this broadcast. I did love that scene where they kind of illustrate that a bit because, you know, he's there listening and, and hearing what the Conor is saying but then Deanna tries to broadcast and and we've already seen from his perspective in the first run through when he was a human what what she's saying because he hears it then and, and everyone else does. But from his perspective at this part, he's just standing there in total silence and looking around and then Riker smiles and Jordy kind of like, oh, and Worf even kind of, oh, you know, <laughs> has understanding pass across his face and Data's like... I hear nothing because that's telepathy. He can't pick up telepathy, but he can pick up whatever it is the Conor are sending. Yeah, I love that scene too, because then I think it was in the same scene where they said about the difference in the way we think. And I'm trying to think, I can't remember exactly, but he, being an android, he doesn't have a brain. He has a database, but then he has another part of him that can think And that's the difference between him as an android and a computer. A computer is information. It's memory. But the computer can't think. It can't take the information and use it in the manner that it thinks it should do in situations. It only provides. And I thought that was interesting, too, is identifying that Data has this ability to think even though he is a machine. He's more than just this information, this database of memories in his head. And then this receptor in him is not a circuit, but a tiny plasma electrode. And so by tapping into that, they're figuring out a way how to not just receive the messages that he's receiving, but how to communicate back. And they find different ways as they're working on it and they start to cause him pain there. And it causes those who hear him pain too. But then he finds like a a workaround or whatever that doesn't cause pain for those who listen, even though he still feels the pain, which is also interesting because not being human, but being machine, he still experiences pain. Yeah. I like the, the fact that whatever signals it's putting out, he, his body is interpreting it as pain, which is the first time he's ever felt 
what that must be like. Because, yeah, Jordy or somebody earlier in the novel says, like, you, you're an android, so you don't feel pain. I hope you never become human because I hope you never have to feel that or something. That nice bit of foreshadowing to this ultimate solution here. Yes. So then the solution can fix the problem, right? So data is going to beam down to talk the, to the Konar to convince them to talk with the rest of the Samdians and stop all this fighting and start realizing that they're all the same. They're all the same species and that really the Konar are not really truly telepathic, right? And that doesn't mean, and even and their ability doesn't mean that they have souls and no one else does. They all have souls, whatever souls are. That's part of the question too in this so he beams down and he is welcome because he can communicate to the Konar, right? They, oh, they welcome him as a brother. They've never seen another species that has the same ability, which just proves to them there's others like them in the galaxy. And they're going to have this big public ceremony and they don't wear clothes. So then Data has to strip down in his white self, you know, and all that, you know. And he's standing there naked in front of all of them. And the chief elder is there. And then Data starts to point out that he he starts to expose that this, he has this ability, but he's also machine. He shows his circuits. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm machine. And then he starts to explain the fact that, well, who makes machines? Well, it's the Iconar, right? They make machines, but they're servants and they're soulless. And anything that's made by the Iconar is property of the Konar. So is data property of the Konar? He can't because he's got a soul, right, Dan? (laughs) This was brilliant, especially seeing as this novel takes place immediately after the episode, The Measure of a Man. And it took me a minute to realize what the author was doing here. But the entire episode that takes place right before this novel swings on the idea that data is not property. That is the ruling by Starfleet. Data is not property and therefore can refuse to undergo this procedure and can resign from Starfleet if he wants to. Like that's Judge Louvois' ruling. And this whole novel hinges on data proving basically that he is property under the eyes of the Konor, what they define as property, which throws their whole belief system out of whack because a piece of property can't have a soul. So I thought that was brilliant. I just, it took me a minute while I was reading it to realize what she was doing here, just almost completely subverting the episode that came before it, but with a really positive result. I thought that was, I loved that. I thought that was brilliant. I love what you just said. It's perfect. Yeah, exactly. And it also shows the whole idea of him having pain. Machines can't have pain. And the Konar can explain why Data is experiencing pain. How can something that I, Konar, create a machine communicate to us in this telepathic type of way and also have pain? There's no way that this is possible. And Data showing, well, I can't really communicate to you. I was actually created a system and something to make me do this. I wasn't born to communicate this way with you. So a machine is created to do this. So this is not a ability that only people with souls can have because I'm a machine. Now, of course, the question can come up of, 
well, even if he's machine, does he still have a soul and what's a soul? And that's a whole nother conversation that it doesn't really get into, but it does raise the question. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, which also, of course, comes from the measure of a man because Judge Louvois says she's basically granting Data the option to explore if he has a soul at the end of that episode. So, like, there's so many little things that just I, I thought that was terrific. I was grinning when I was reading that. I have to tell you something, Dan. So this kind of goes into my overall review. But as I was reading this book, I kept thinking three out of five stars. Because to my point earlier, as he's on the quest, I thought, is that all this is going to be? Is this whole quest thing? That's the only thing that's going on right now. And then when it ended, I was like, oh, okay, there's going to be more to this. I enjoyed the stuff of him going through his humanity. But then I felt like there could have been more you know, interaction with the crew and helping him discover his humanity. I wanted to see more of that. So I was still kind of on this three star thing, you know, but I was enjoying, I was enjoying the book, but not overly enjoying the book. But I have to tell you, this whole thing we're just talking about right now was the last chapter. And that mm-hmm. thing blew me away. That, <laughs> like you said, this part was brilliant. This made me go, oh my gosh, this is five stars. Now, I can't give the whole book five stars just because of the last chapter, but that whole chapter made this whole thing just tie up in a bow in, in a bow for me and make me go, oh my God, this was brilliant. Yeah, I had a similar reaction. Uh, I, I have some issues which we'll, we'll bring up, but oh, good. yeah, this last chapter I thought was terrific and really left like a really good taste in my mouth finishing this book. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is Dana went on a quest and at the end, he found the gods and was rewarded. To me, I went through this quest and I didn't get rewarded until the end. <laughs> <laughs> but then what problems did you want to bring up? Okay. Well, to me, what what bugs me a little bit is there's kind of a reset button in this novel. And the fact that Data went through all of this and he and no one else remembers any of it bugs me a little bit. There's that little whisper of a ghost of an idea that he remembers some of it, but, and I, and I mean, I know it breaks continuity if he does remember it, if he remembers being human, right? Because he still kind of has that desire to be human going forward from this. So it, you know, I, I don't know how else she could have done the, this story wanting to tell this story. I don't know another way she could have done it, but the reset button bugs me a little bit that he went through all of this stuff and doesn't really bring anything from that experience forward. He maybe brings a little bit forward, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, with regards to uh, a certain cat that shows up in the story. But for the most part, he doesn't remember those events, so he doesn't necessarily learn much from them, if that makes sense. Well, that kind of goes to what I'm feeling, too, that there's this this whole book to me is a long journey just to get to this point, you know? Mm -hmm. And as much as I like the end of the book, it seemed like it took a while for us to get really get there. And the fact that you're saying, you know, we get this whole story and then we're just resetting. I mean, I don't know how she could work it in except for maybe that data does remember some of it, but it's a memory that's fading because he can't relate to the emotions and the feelings that he had as a human now that he's back as an android. So it's harder for him to process and understand and it's making harder or something, you know, where 
he could still have the memories, but not really understand them because he's not human anymore. Like maybe mm-hmm. if they did something like that, because I agree with you, I think it would have been more enlightening if he would have learned a lesson from what he went through and retained what that lesson was. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the missing piece for me, if that makes sense. Other than that, like I, I really, really enjoyed this book, but that is kind of the one glaring thing that I, I don't think there's a real workaround. So I don't blame the author because the story that she told here is very good and very compelling it's just, yeah, having to reset things because you have to. You're you're one piece in a long run long running television series and you're in the middle of it. Yeah. You have to put the pieces back on the shelf, you know, put the toys back in the box kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I would have liked if there was some sort of carry some sort of more carryover than what we got. But to that point, maybe it's not about what data learns, but what we learn from his experience. Ooh, that's deep. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what Star Trek's about, is us to discover ourselves, what we get from it, what we learn. So how's that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the book basically ends with, you know, the Konar then working out the, you know, that they're they're not the only ones of soul and they work things up with the Samdians and everything's good. I, I thought it wrapped up pretty quickly, though, you know, for mm-hmm. as long as the book plays out, it was just like data solves the problem end of story like there was no epilogue or i just expected there'd be something a little more after that yeah but, uh, that's it i mean the epilogue the the wrap-up almost was before this final bit like it was kind of data talking to the gods of elysia like that was kind of to me the wrap-up of the main part of the story and then yeah. everything after it as good as it was i really liked it it felt like okay now we've got a redo this stuff and fix it. And this is the fix. This is how it all turns out kind of thing. So I felt like we got that wrap up a little bit. It was just out of order, which yeah. seemed odd. If That's that makes a good sense. Point. Yeah. Well, then the last thing we want to mention is this cat named mystery. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was cool that there's this roaming cat on the enterprise. Yeah. And it's funny because it's introduced fairly early on and I was thinking as I was reading it, oh, it's too bad this was written before Spot was a thing because this role could have been taken up by Spot, you know, this cat. But by the end of the novel, I actually really liked how this kind of fits in because, like you said, we have this cat mystery who seems to be able to get into places on the Enterprise and no one knows how. She or he, I think she, I'm not sure, just kind of shows up randomly and you know, the crew has kind of befriended it. But whenever Data pets this cat, it doesn't purr. It purrs for everyone else, but not Data. Because Data doesn't have a soul, is kind of how we read into that. That's not said, but, you know, he's not a human. He's not a living thing. By the end, after he's gone through all of this, Mystery appears and nuzzles up to him, and Data starts petting Mystery, and Mystery starts purring. And I was like, that's a beautiful moment. And it's the very last line of the book. And in my mind now, this is why Data gets spot. And I love that. I think that's perfect. I'm like, okay, forget my whole I wish this was spot thing. I don't want to change a thing. This was perfect. (laughs) 
I love that. I, th- I had the same thought. I was like, wow, you know, this is why he would get spot because mm-hmm. he now has a relationship with a cat. He likes cats and cats like him. And now he would like to have his own cat, have a pet. Cause for all we know, mystery disappears <laughs> and then he's missing yeah. mystery, right? <laughs> he wants another cat. <laughs> so yeah, I, I thought it was great at the end that, purring thing it was like the perfect last sentence ending the cat purrs you know it's like oh yes because data really does have a soul <laughs> <laughs> all right so that being said dan unless you have anything else you want to discuss what what are your final thoughts final thoughts for this novel again i very much enjoyed reading it it was an an enjoyable read i thought the adventure was terrific i thought data's experiences being turned into a human was excellent. If it was just that and, and the ending, it would be a five star novel for me. But unfortunately I just, I have to knock a star off for the dreaded reset button where he kind of forgets everything that happened. There are, like I said, some consequences of it going forward. We see with the cat and this kind of bit of remembrance he has, but it just, yeah, it, it, hollowed the story out a little, just, just a tiny bit for me, but not so much that like, I think it's a bad story or not worth reading. It's very much worth reading. I would highly recommend this novel. Let me say four out of five alphabetical dishes eaten out of the uh, replicator, starting with alphabet soup. Oh my gosh. I was like, wait, where are you going? And then I realized, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was trying different foods. He started with the first one, alphabet soup, alphabetically. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Again, what I said earlier that I just didn't know, I thought the quest was going to take up the majority of this novel and then it kind of moved forward from there. And I was interested, but it stayed with data for the whole thing. And I think I'm so used to more of the current Star Trek novels that have multiple story storylines going and interconnecting. And this one just stayed with data the whole time, which is not a bad thing. It was just, sometimes I felt like things were going a little too long. I wanted to move things a little faster. And then there were times that things went a little too fast. Like we said earlier, where something's just like quickly done in a chapter, but I was enjoying the book. I was leaning towards three out of five, but towards the end, I was like loving that and I was giving it a five out of five. So I have to average it out. So it, to your point, a strong four out of five kisses from Thelia, because you know what? We're bonded all four of those times. Wow. That's, that's a strong rating. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's exciting. So yeah, look, we, we've got more books to do. There's there's hundreds of Star Trek novels out there, and we're going to have our next book club in two weeks. And which book are we doing again? The next book in the Lost Era, The Art of the Impossible by Keith R.A. DeCandido. That's right. I have not read that one before. I this don't is- think I have. I might have started it and never finished it. That's not a comment on the quality of the work. I love Keith DeCandido's writing. I just, I feel like I started it at some point years ago and just never got around to finishing it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, now you're going to, because you have to. Absolutely. You can't come on here and we say, let's just only talk about the parts that you've read. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a very unfulfilling episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, when you're not reading, Dan, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And when I am reading, you can also find me on my book review website, treklet.com. Just go to www.treklet.com. I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. I also have my, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Productions. And I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And on Instagram is just Admiral Rex. And then you can occasionally find me on the Star Wars Report and been doing some guest appearances on Literary Treks. Yeah, that other show that does books, too. And then uh, also, hey, you know what? Send us an email, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at PositivelyTrek, also on Instagram. And then you can also join our Goodreads group because remember earlier I said, oh, what novel are we doing next? Well, they're listed on Goodreads. You can go in there and see upcoming novels that we're getting ready to do so you can read along with us. And of course, discuss in the group. We also have a Facebook group that's not just focused on novels, but everything Star Trek or Positively Trek. Join the discussions there. We'll let you in. There's great discussions and a lot of great people out there that are in that group. Uh, no one's ruined it yet. And we're going to make sure that it keeps that way. So, <laughs> And then also, whew, we have Patreon. Yes, you can be a patron supporter of Patreon. So look for us on Patreon and you can you know, do a dollar a month, whatever it is, you you know, a hundred dollars a month, whatever you feel comfortable with. If you do a hundred dollars a month, I'll give you four kisses out of five. Now I'll give you five <laughs> out of five. And then I also want to, speaking of Patreon, we have our associate producer, William Smith, as one of our patrons. And we thank William for his support here at Positively Track and, you know, for just being a great friend too. So thanks everyone for joining us. And remember what we always say, and that is stay positive. Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? To hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. Tough young guys, sinewy bodies and their uh, fingers and teeny toes challenge the rock, challenging death. Why do I climb the mountain? Because I'm in love. There is a passionate affair going on between Kirk and the mountain. Kirk is on the Kirk is on the mountain. Now, in order to create that illusion, sucking some of the most sensational men who not only climb are voracious, fleeting, and elusive and peripheral. And that's putting me on the mountain. Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Hold it, please. Hug the mountain. Envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. And the climb 
is going where no man has gone before. Where no man has gone before. Challenge the rock. Challenging death. Why do I climb the mountain? Because I'm in love. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.